This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey folks, I'm taping two podcasts today and I can't imagine them getting any easier as I'm joined by two splendid raconteurs, Carvey, later in the day, and today our friend the great writer, former SNL writer. I'll give him those bona fides since we're in the Right Stuff Club, Alan Zwebel. His memoir, Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier, and he is a force multiplier, was released last week on audio. Alan, how are you, my friend? Hey, Dennis. We've been seeing a lot of each other lately. How are you, buddy? Young kid with a dream. How are you? <laughs> And how's, how's that dream materializing? Well, you're on your way? Beautiful, beautiful. I just got picked up at the Okie Dog on Fairfax by a stranger who tells me he can get me into show business, and we're going up to Alan Carr's pool house. So that's where my dreams. Okay, this happened when, about 40 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> and it haunts me since. <laughs> They had to spend the whole day learning. The whole first day, Alan had a tutorial on the difference between a kaftan and a dashiki. Oh, boy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hard tutorial to shake off, by the way, no matter how many decades have passed. He made me call him Lord Dangler. <laughs> this is getting worse and worse. Or better and better. I read a couple books on tape once, and I found it akin to, well, it was like when Lloyd Booker in the Pueblo had been kidnapped <laughs> by the North Koreans, and they had to read a, a punji stick in their right ear while they read a kidnap note against their will. How did you find the process? I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was a hostage as well. You know, <laughs> uh, first of all, I've done this before where you go into New York City and you go into a studio. And even under those conditions, what should have taken, let's say, three days took two weeks because all of a sudden English became my fourth language. <laughs> okay, I forgot how to read. And they said, come yeah. on, Alan, uh, you know, you pronounce the F. <laughs> okay, and all of that stuff. And now, but during pandemic, they sent me uh, a microphone as big as our den that I had I set up and I put up, a, made a little studio in my study and some remote guy uh, was telling me what to do, how to do it. He was very nice. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, a hostage message uh, right before Christmas. <laughs> yeah. It, it, folks, in a world where you can speak into your phone and somebody can hear it on a boat in Antarctica, trust me, when you do the book on tape thing, they do whip out the, the, micro, or the, uh, the microphone they send you is the size of something that uh, Dave Garraway would have looked to be on the other side of the glass and said to Fred Friendly, Guy, don't the Japanese have something smaller than this? And this was not at a time where we were going across the Pacific Rim. To well, you can actually that. swat down one of those planes, <laughs> one of those zeros with this microphone. By the way, right. the fact that Lloyd Booker and Dave Garraway have now entered our conversation maybe 12 seconds into this, I think we're on well on our way to something beautiful. <laughs> well, listen, when I'm, when, when I'm with an actually great writer, I have to go to my monkey trick, which is the Arcania. So there you go. Uh, Alan will be doing a virtual conversation event with 
Judd Apatow at the uh, Stryker Center, I believe. Uh, Stryker Center in New York. It has to be Stryker because if not, it would be Streaker, and that's a whole different thing. The Stryker <laughs> Center in New York City on August 6th. And I've known Judd since he was, I think I first met Judd when he was 17. You probably go back to the guy was doing interviews with comedians when he was in the amniotic fluid, for God's <laughs> sake. You know something? I came a little bit uh, past the amniotic fluid, but not a hell of a lot because he was terribly wet when he interviewed me. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's interesting. When we moved back east a couple of years ago, we were going through our stuff. What are we going to keep? What are we going to throw out? And my wife, Robin, found this letter that had the call letters to a, uh, some weird local radio station from Syosset, Long Island. I read the letter, and it was from this kid, a 15-year-old Judd Apatow, mm -hmm. thanking me for taking the train out to Syosset, Long Island, and doing um, and asking, uh, not only did I give him an interview, but according to this letter, I got Mike Lodonio and Belushi and Gilda. I don't remember any of it, but he said it was, uh, he was very nice. And I called him when I wrote this book because I wanted to include the letter in the book. He said, of course, you, you can print the letter. He said, uh, just send me a copy of it. I want to see what I said to you. So I sent it to him and he called back and he said, my God, was I ever a kiss ass back then? <laughs> because there were more superlatives and, uh, and promises to be a, a good person in the future. I'm trying to think of a 15-year-old going into a room with a little mini-cassette recorder to interview Michael O'Donoghue, and it can't get much worse than <laughs> It can't get much more intimidating than that, for God's sake. Uh, he, oh, Michael O'Donoghue was one of the scariest people to an adult, let alone a 15-year-old, but maybe he just didn't know any better. Maybe there was a ignorance is bliss thing, but Michael was frightening. He was very, yeah. very, very funny, but frightening. Yeah, he was one of those people, and I only met him a couple times briefly, but uh, I think I remember him laughing at some aside I said, and it was one of those imprimaters where you think, oh, geez, I got to laugh off somebody. It's like the same feeling you get with Chris Guest, where you think, well, this guy's not prone to mercy fuck me on the laugh, so that must have <laughs> <laughs> that must have been funny. Do you, you must know Marty tells the great story, Marty Short. We're talking to Alan Zweibel, and the book is Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier. But uh, Marty tells that great Chris Guest story about Captain Ron. Do you know that story, Alan? Oh, oh yeah. Please tell it again, though, because I think I forgot it. He did tell me. That. Well, Chris, uh, Marty's doing Captain Ron, which is Kurt in a cock sock down in the Caribbean, and Marty in a, you know, a shirt with epaulets on it. He's married to Mary Kay Place. <laughs> He takes the people out on the minnow when it's in downtime from Gilligan and Skipper. <laughs> and so he has this new movie, and Chris says, so tell me about your new film. And uh, Marty says, well, I'm a husband on vacation in the Caribbean. And Chris says, I didn't say spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, you know, the, the coupling of Chris and Michael O'Donoghue is, is pretty um, uh, understandable because I just assumed that they both didn't like me only because they never spoke. And to yeah. hear them utter anything went, wow, maybe they do recognize that I'm alive. You know, yeah. they're very, very, very quiet that way. Have I ever told you that my first meeting Judd story? Maybe I told you last time. Oh, please time tell on. me. 
So I'm doing, you remember Steve Ross, who was that, had the great bedside manner when he headed up, I think it was Warner Brothers. I can't it was remember. Warner's, yes. Yeah, nice guy. Uh, you know, he was one of those powerful guys who, when you met him, you thought he wears it well. Sort of like Tom Freston, that sort of guy. Uh, was, absolutely, uh, a, yes. A, a mensch. So anyway, somehow I end up at a Warner Brothers. Paul Simon is in the park, dear. He was playing in the oh, of park. Of course, he and Artie and eight. What's that, 81, something yeah, like that? Yeah, something right in there. So I'm in my uh, tent. I'm emceeing it. And literally, that's two jokes up front, and nobody's here to score. It's you know, it's, it's not like you're going out and doing gin games before <laughs> Leonard Skinner. They want the show. So I... <laughs> I, I'm in the, I, all I need is around three jokes and then throw it to Paul. So um, somehow I'm in my uh, tent and Steve Ross comes to visit and there's this young kid there. He's a fly on the wall. He's been appointed my assistant and he sits there very demurely and then Ross exits and he introduces himself and it's Judd. And I don't know how he gets the job, probably because at that point he's all, maybe he's in Joe Roth's the orbit. That seems to stick in my head, but somehow Joe he ends E. Up Ross, as, who played Gunther Tootie? No, no, Park Joe 54. Roth, who was the filmmaker. <laughs> oh, I think you said Joe Roth. No, I was no. wondering how Tootie got into this. Okay. I, I was. I was in a wrestling match once in a steam bath between Joey Ross and Marty Allen fighting over. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, who wrote it first? But um, anyway, John, I'm sitting there and I say to the kid, well, John, listen, uh, I'm looking for jokes. And if you have anything, uh, there's a bunch of papers here. You know, it was like comedy Alice Shandling where he had all the papers laid out on the You're floor. Sure. And, um, so he picks up the National Enquirer. And this is the first time I meet Judd. I've known him now for around 15 minutes. And this this turns out to be so Judd in retrospect. Uh, I have no idea he can even write. I'm just trying to be a kind uh you know, I don't want him to just run for coffee. He seems so smart. So he says, hey, I found a joke here. And I go, what is it, Chad? And he says, well, I'm reading in the Inquirer about a uh, Siamese twin boys. And the one Siamese twin was stillborn and he calcified and he's lodged in his brother's <laughs> shoulder. But they can't separate them until they get older enough to... Uh, to uh, survive the surgery, the living one. So they have to leave him there, calcified his brother. You know, like that Richard E. Grant film, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, except it's his brother on his vaccination mark. And he's turned into an <laughs> Easter Island statue. And uh, I, I, I look at him, I go, Judd, there's hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know where the fuck, well, how do I go out to the sheep meadow and pitch that? They don't even want me here to say hi. And Judd says, well, I know it sounds grim, but... Uh, if you think about it, it's really provident because you get to try hairdos out on the little head before you bring them up to the show. <laughs> the show! He was already using Bull Durham lexicon for the major leagues. I, I said, what did you just say to this kid who I didn't know at that point? He repeated that. I said, fuck. Now, years later, cut to any stoner film he's done. And they're not all stoners, but I'm saying he's got the, a couple of them. They're so funny. Sure. It, it, it always reminds me of the campfire circle talk they have where you can see Seth Rogen taking a hit on a joint. Say, hey, you know, the Kelsman. <laughs> I always think of the, the template was set down at an early age with Judd. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. You know. Judd, I'm really proud of him, and he's just done wonderfully. And, you know, and talking about first meetings, you had mentioned O'Donoghue earlier. I just wanted to let you know that my first meeting with Michael, it was the very, very first meeting at uh, SNL. 
1975, I walk into Lauren's office. I got there early. I didn't want to be late. My first meeting. And there, it's the Lauren's office is empty, except there's Michael O'Donoghue, who's wearing sunglasses and a vintage off-white 1940s suit, right? Mm-hmm. And he's... He's taken the cord from the Venetian blind, <laughs> wrapping it around Big Bird's neck, okay, <laughs> and then raising the Venetian blind as if Big Bird was now dangling from gallows. That was his way of telling everybody he didn't want the Muppets on this new show. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, <laughs> and, and indeed, isn't, isn't Michael O'Donoghue the first face we ever see on SNL? Do, or do I remember Absolutely. that apocryphally? Yeah, uh, it was it, the cold open that uh, Belushi came in as a, a language student, and he was the teacher. That's exactly right. And I think I would uh, like to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines. Right. I believe that those, those <laughs> I believe those were the first uttered words on this, on this new show. Perfect. It was a far that, cry from, let's say, you know, Sonny and Cher didn't do that. You know, whatever was standard fare at the time didn't feed anybody's fingertips to any uh, Wolverines no. or badges or whatever else. You know? Yeah, the uh, the prime meridian of comedy had been marked there by the. the, the <laughs> that's a very brilliant thing. I don't know. And Lauren, he'll sneak up on you and surprise you just when I think that uh, Lauren's like so convivial. He'll have this super insightful thing, and I'm sure <laughs> that was probably his idea. Not not the joke, but I'm I'm sure he wanted to lay something down right out of the box that said we. Oh yeah, just do to let you know that this would other. be a. Yeah, this would be a, a tad different than any of those other shows where they wore, uh, where Steve Lawrence had a tuxedo and Cal Burnett had a Bob Mackie gown on. This was yeah. a tad different. Right. Hey, folks, this is a cool one. This episode is brought to you by Fracture. Now, follow along here. A little tricky, but uh, when you get the product in your hand, you'll say, wow, I'm glad I, I thunk on that. Fracture turns your digital images into beautiful glass prints. Now, I sent Christian a picture of the one they sent me to see if uh, they wanted to do business with me. I want to do it back. You got to woo each other up front. Blew me away how cool this thing is. It's the Dennis Miller Option logo printed on a teal color because I believe that's the one they got off the Internet that we use. And I converted to Teals. I know they've been there recently, but they just send it to you. And it's a great conversation starter because you think, wow, how cool is that thing? And it's so light. It's like you have a picture that you can hang and you don't have to put those, uh, you know, deadbolts into the wall. They print your photos directly on glass, transforming your memories into handcrafted, frameless prints. It's like one of those eternity TV sets or swimming pools. Fracture helps you focus on the moments that matter most by turning your favorite memories into beautiful glass prints. Fracture prints directly on durable glass, soft edges for safe handling, no paper cuts here. Print comes in multiple sizes, no frame required. And each print comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. Talked to these cats on the phone the other day, Matt, and forget the other guy's name, super sweet guys. And they were hunkered down in Florida getting it right. If for any reason you do not love the print, Fracture's gonna make it right for you. Glass prints also make unique gifts that your friends and family will never forget. Now I have a Christian um, 
Christian photo. Well, I guess it is in a way. I have a photo of Christian and I, and whenever I'm doing the podcast, I'm always alone here. He's alone down in L.A. So while we have great rapport, Christian, we obviously are not in the bat cycle and sidecar together. So I'm thinking of getting this picture I have of you and I working in studio together and hanging it up here above the mic. So at least when I uh, find myself wanting yeah. under the gaze of your utter brilliance, I of can course. look up and see you scowling at me. And... Uh, <laughs> The fracture prints look incredible. You'll really need to see them to believe it. Upload. And I told the guys that I'm so glad you sent me this because this is a hard one to theorize on when you read the the product explanation, which they always send you. Do you want to be in business with these people? Do they want to be in business with you? As I said, they, you know, I think people think you phone these endorsements in. You don't. you got to endorse things you believe in. So I said to them, I'd like to see one of these things. And they sent it to me. And boy, the deal's closed right there. You really need to see it to believe it. Upload your photo at FractureMe.com slash Miller to print your photo on glass today. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. When you visit FractureMe.com slash Miller and then enter the promo code Miller, you get 20% off of your order. That's FractureMe.com slash Miller. And I know people say, why the redundancy on these things? This one's important. I, I, I want you to try this. I think it'll be fun. And uh, I think that uh, as unique presents go, uh, I think this is one that's uh, super cool. And as I said, the lightness of the product they send you makes it so easy to hang on your wall. Or you can set it up on the counter spot. But it's uh, it's a perfect mix of having great definition on a photo you love on a light uh, surface with really no clunky frame around it. And uh, I, I think it's a great photo memories for the current times we live. That's FractureMe.com slash Miller. Enter code Miller to save 20% off your Fracture glass print. And we thank Fracture for sponsoring the podcast. Cool product, guys. We're talking to Alan Zweibel, and uh, along with Jim Downey, Lauren, a few other people, there's nobody, Herb's, well, Herb's passed now, but there's few people who, if you ever want the SNL story, you know, if you ever want it non-palavered or non-Tom Shalesy bullshitted up, uh, you, you, you go to guys like this because they were in the belly of the beast. The book is Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier and being one of the uh, nicest, kindest humans I've met along the way. Uh, I, I, I think that Buck uh, Henry is, it, it seems to me, the one you, you write about and speak about him, he seems like your favorite host. What was it about Buck that made you laugh so hard? Because he was so understated, Dennis. He didn't have to. Now, mind you, there were times that he got big. He played characters that called him to be big. In particular, I remember one, uh, a character called Uncle Roy, that Rosie Schuster and Ann Beats wrote, and he was the uncle who babysat for the nine and the eleven-year-old Gilda and Lorraine, mm, right. and, and took you know the, the boy, right. we'd all get killed if if right. if even. Uh, so as a matter of fact, I'm you know, today I'm I'm going to be shocked if I don't wake up with a big cold <laughs> sore for just saying the words Uncle and Roy in the same sentence. But Buck's humor. I used to watch him as a kid on The Tonight Show. He would sit and talk to Johnny Carson about absolutely nothing for eight minutes, and it was hilarious. And when he came in, he was such a natural for the Samurais, which I wrote because he, here he, he walks into a deli, 
and here's there's a samurai swordsman making a sandwich, grunting while he's throwing up a tomato that he slices with his sword. And Buck is just talking about what he thinks the Super Bowl is going to be like the next day while this sandwich is being made for him. So it was the understatement of it all. You know, even in The Graduate, the way he played, I think he was the hotel desk clerk there. Yes. And so there was something about his wit. Uh, he was a throwback. You know, he was older than us. He died in December. He was 89. So he was, you know, older than we. He was the generation before. But he loved words. Herb Sargent was that way also. Just the way you do. You know, just the way, uh, you know, Lloyd Booker shows up. You know, it's the same thing. And uh, I was enamored of that. And I learned a lot from him. Um, not only did I learn about writing, I uh, also learned about the longevity of a career. You know, Buck had a lot of hits, you know, The Graduate mm -hmm. and, you know, and Get Smart and other movies as well. But, you know, whenever there would be something that was a foul tip, yeah, he'd lick his wounds for 10 minutes and mm -hmm. then go back to his uh, typewriter and work on the next one. And it, it was about the longevity of the business and the longevity of putting together a body of work that um, he showed by example, which I really loved. Plus, he knew That's every porn house in New York at the time. Yeah, he was uh, he was a wild, a bit of a hedonist. Uh, but uh, I, I always love the. Uh, it's like a relief pitcher in the NFL or in the NFL. I'm sorry, sports have been off so long. I'm morphing my sports <laughs> together. Relief pitcher in Major League Baseball is once you give up a dinger at the end, like Eckersley did with Kirk Gibson, you got to shake it off and get on to the next one because that's yeah, just going to happen. Even if it's happen. a long winter, it's going to be a long yeah. winter, but there's still spring is going to come. And yeah, you, can you redeem uh, yourself. That's half of baseball, folks, is uh, when you when the leaves change in the autumn, baseball springs up in the spring and all that stuff is uh, primordially cyclical. We're talking to Alan Zweibel. I see you're playing with the Rock Bottom Remainders now, the musical group. And oh, God. Uh, I, I, tell, tell me about the, who's in the band. Oh, it's amazing. I started writing a number of years ago with Dave Barry, who is one of the founding members of the band, and they... They mean it's a, a group comprised of uh, best-selling authors. So the members of the band are Dave Barry and Stephen King and Mitch Album and Scott Turow and Amy Tan. And he asked me once if I'd like to be in the band. And I said, listen, I can't sing and I don't play an instrument. He said, you're perfect. So I'm the Jew in the back who goes, you do run, 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 to do run, run. Okay. And to this day, I don't know if my mic is live or not, but it's really fun being up there. And when and they usually play at big book festivals. And if it's in a city or a town where um, an, uh, an actual rock star is, Springsteen has come on stage and played with the remainder and uh, Roger McGuinn, you know, from the, wow. birds. He's, from the birds. He's played with them, I mean, a half a dozen times that I've been with them. So they just did, uh, I think it was just released. It went live about a week ago. One of the worst renditions of, <laughs> of Stand By Me that you'll ever hear. It is so pathetic. Everybody did it remotely, of course. And um, they edited it together. And all the proceeds go to the independent booksellers who are hurting, you know, during this pandemic. So it's for a good song, but um, they, they might as well have slaughtered a small animal. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's more it's merciful the, than this song. It's the sort of rendition that makes a young kid in 
just immediately post puberty run across the train while a train's going go across the train track while the train's on cover. But that's and by the way, I've heard your isolated vocal track. It's like Linda McCartney, a meme on the uh, on the internet. And you, you're I actually hear you saying the Jew run 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 the Jew run run. So I knew it was you. It, it, it had to have been me, and um, you know, it, folks. I only I say at, that. I only say that because he released me by saying the Jew in the no, background. No, okay. no, no ab- absolutely, the Jew in the back. You know, when they sent me the link, it, about two thirds of the way through, there's a part of me that's saying, "I pray they left me out." I pray they left me out, <laughs> and I end up being somewhat prominent in it, and. Um, you know, uh, we changed our phone number. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's it's really fun. And it's all for a terrific course. And, you know, when we are together, it, it, it is a lot of fun because it's oh, writers doing something other than writing. You know, it was yeah. like those basketball games at Shandling's house. We just right. played basketball. We did something other than what we do. Yeah. We're talking to Alan Zweibel, and he'll be with Judd Apatow, folks, at the Stryker Center in New York City on August 6th. Don't know where that's at, but look it up, because if you're there, and I think, uh, where are we at in the quarantine now in New York? I think you have to wear a Hurt Locker suit to come to this. <laughs> and look at, feel like you're working the rec room at Bib the Michelin Man's house when, from stage, Alan. But, uh, I, I, I'm not the impression that it's virtual. <laughs> okay, here in New York, they've opened up things, but I don't think... Um, that much yet so judd will be in la i'll be here in new york and it's going to be a virtual um conversation that we have there may be a moderator and um uh it's like that no we're not that opened up here uh, that much all right um listen i i all this blends together in my head uh because you have your fingers in so many pies for god's sakes it's tough to keep but did you in fact uh, was it your idea to offer the beatles the check to come down or how, no was the... that was all lorne that was lorne. all lorne lorne called me into his office one day and he said listen and this was about the same week that sid bernstein had offered the beatles like 320 million dollars right. to reunite and lorne calls me into his office and what, what, what that was, you know, in those days, because I had been a joke writer before, Lorne mm-hmm. would call me in, tell me all the beats to a monologue he wants to do, and I would just string it together. So it was not my idea, but I sat before him, and, he's, and I had my pen and my legal pad, and he said, listen, I want to go on uh, the show this Saturday and offer the Beatles three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is a re- perfect take you know and I'm, and i just started laughing i thought it was brilliant yeah. so i'm taking down all of his notes and he's ad-libbing okay you know different beats in, in, in the appeal the only thing that i contributed and it wasn't even a contribution dennis you know because he said you can divide it any way you want to three thousand right. dollars and all i my only contribution was me asking lorne what about Ringo? And right. Lorne just said, well, if you want to give Ringo less, that's your business. <laughs> okay. Too, no, that yeah. was all Lorne. <laughs> he wrote up what he said. I was a stenographer, wow. if you will. Well, God bless Lorne, because that is an absolute, that's one of the comedy premises of my time. Absolutely killer. With our ever-changing routines, there's never been a better time to learn something new. But with thousands of options available, 
not to mention keeping yourself just up informationally on the rapidly changing world. You've got to find the best way to learn, and that can be challenging. My recommendation is an app called Blinkist. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist is unique and powerful. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist gives you the best key takeaways, the need to know information from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories. Blinkist condenses them down into blinks. That's where the name comes from. You can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. And now, Blinkist offers its members even more, including exclusive original podcasts from top authors and creative thinkers. You still get access to the entire Blinkist library with your membership, and now you can also dive deeper into full-length nonfiction audiobooks at a special discounted price. Over 14 million people use Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in topics spanning self-improvement, personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness, happiness, and many, many more. I like Blinkist because I can use it on my hikes, one that I'm not out with a friend jabbering. I don't like to just go complete quietude unless I'm up in the hills. So when I'm hiking the streets around here, I go for an hour and I can knock off two books and let them distill into my head during the hike. I have recently read and listened to these Blinks and I recommend them them highly. Let's see. I did Sapiens, which I've always heard about and never. And I read an interesting one by a cat named Tim Alberta, American Carnage. An interesting premise. I think you'll like it. I purchased and listened to a few full-length nonfiction audiobooks on Blinkist, and I highly recommend that you also check out, of course, by one of my favorites, one of my uh, I think of us as friends, The Case for Trump by Victor Davis Hanson, who's a flat-out genius. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dennis to start your free seven-day trial and get a 25% discount on a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks, and they're yours, obviously, to keep forever. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Dennis to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Dennis. Now, listen, we share experiences in life, obviously. We also share a man who is our... uh, our Yoda to a large degree, or at least our uh, Obi-Wan and Bernie Perlstein. <laughs> I used to go with Bernie to, what was it called, Wally and George's, and he would get back steaks up oh, to yeah. the table and pasta. It had that green <laughs> sign. We'd walk down there from SNL. Some of the funniest nights of my life, listen to Bernie hold court. Tell me your memories of the great Bernie Brewster. Oh, it was the same thing, Dennis. You know, um, for those who don't, can't, who don't know what Bernie looked like, I would imagine if you took, uh, oh, let's say Santa Claus mm-hmm. and um, who just, who sang The Gambler? Kenny Rogers. Kenny, if Kenny Rogers and uh, Bernie uh, and uh, Santa Claus had a kid, it was Bernie. Okay, with the white beard, and he yeah. just loved show business. He loved uh, laughing, and um, he, my memories of him, you know, they, they they're so varied. But it's a lot of it in, uh, involved the food. There was a lot of gluttony, and he, I, his laugh. And but he was one of those guys. When I was trying to figure out who should represent me. There were two choices back then. 
there was Jack Rollins, who was here mm -hmm. in New York, who was Woody's guy, and he Nichols and May before yeah. him, and then later on, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, and then there was Bernie. Not only was he Lorne's guy, but he was a loyal man who schlepped around with Jim Henson with his suitcase filled with folded felt yes. <laughs> called yes. the Muppets when nobody would buy it. And I liked that kind of loyalty. And he was in L.A. I was in New York. And I just remember he was bigger than life. And what he also did, he got to be so powerful that I was in two network meetings I guess this is when we were discussing uh, it's Gary Shandling's show. And I'm sitting in his office, Brandon Tartikoff, because there was a chance it would be on NBC. It didn't end up there. It ended up on Showtime. But Tartikoff is in Bernie's office. <laughs> Bernie is behind his desk. I'm there. Shandling's there. And Bernie's partner, Brad Gray. Okay. Mm. And during the course of this meeting, this is a network meeting, I hear what I was positive was a fart. <laughs> Okay, I look over in Bernie's direction like, huh? And he looks at me and he just winks. Now, to this day, I have no idea what that wink meant. Was it like, hey, we're guys? I could, or is it I'm that powerful? I could do this. But he, um, the sweetest guy in the world, if he liked you, yeah. you had no better godfather than him. He, yeah. um, I'm surprised he, Bernie kid, didn't. I, I can hear Bernie saying. How's about I farted? Okay. <laughs> he used to do that. <laughs> the how's about move always made me. The laugh. how's about move. And I remember when he wrote a memoir, we were in uh, LA. He had a, a book signing party at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and we were all queued up holding our books. Bernie was behind the table, and we'd get to him and he'd sign it, right? And Lovitz is in front of me, right? So Lovitz gets the birdie right, right before I do, okay? So this isn't hearsay. I heard John say, Bernie, I loved your book, especially the parts that were true. <laughs> There's a perfect Lovitz story right there, folks. Um, I remember I told John once I was visiting Lauren in uh, Amagansett, and... Uh, um, you know, Lauren liked that five mile circle hike or five or six right. miles and you'd, and the mid afternoon, you'd end up back at the house for late afternoon. And, uh, he, and I said, the John called me, he said, what are you doing today? I, he was in Manhattan. I said, I'm out and I'm against it with Lauren. And he said, what are you doing? I said, we're about to go on a hike. And John said, have a nice listen. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> and I tell you what, that's the thing about Lord is it was the best listen because it was it was in that Mike Nichols. Uh, uh, so it was just so many funny, good, well-told stories that, yeah, Lauren liked to talk. And you know why? Most people just shut up and said, God, I'm not going to have anything to chip in here. I ought to just listen to this cat. God, he made me laugh, uh, Lauren, when he would uh, tell I stories. I sat back and enjoyed the ride, you know. And in fact, when Bernie died, Lauren gave me a ride on his plane. Um, it was me, Marty Short, and Lauren. I mm -hmm. hadn't been in Lauren's company in quite a while. You know, measure it in numbers of years. And so it's not that I had forgotten, but I was reminded about the way he told stories, oh. who we knew, the reference points. And I have, I said, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I forgot this part. Wow. 
I'm yeah. thrilled to hear it again. My God, he's still doing it. <laughs> okay. And it yeah. was all these historical references and quoting these people. And um, where else was I going to get that from? No, no. He was, uh, put it this way, folks. I've had a lot of bosses in my life. And a lot of them have done kindnesses for me and well, but nobody changed my life. And nobody was a better boss than Lauren. And I'm telling you, when you're there, and I can think of you as a young joke writer being called in, all of a sudden you've gone from the island to the the bows of thirty or the the heights of thirty rock, and you're in the room at the cutting edge of an epochal change in comedy. I used to get so jazzed when I'd make him laugh. I assume you had the same vibe, sort of, right? Oh my. God, it was the greatest feeling in the world. It was, there was a validation to it. Look who I made laugh, you know? And um, I think we all felt that way. There was always that little instant, you know, this millisecond where, what would his reaction be? And, and, and if, he, if he answered with a laugh, and you know something, back then, it would, when we first got together, the very that very first meeting, he described this new show as a comedy variety show. But then he elaborated in the next sentence. He defined it as a variety of different kinds of comedy. And when mm-hmm. I looked around that room, and there was Michael O'Donoghue, okay, and there was Tom Schiller, who was from a brilliant but from a different planet than I was from, and Franken and Davis, and and, and the, the, let's you know then there was John and Gilder and Danny. Lorraine, it was exactly that. And if there was one common denominator, if there was one guy who spoke to everyone, it was Lorne. Yeah, we followed yeah. him, we listened to him, and you know something? He was right. Yeah, he was an interlocutor. Right. So, Brilliant. And, and that was an eclectic crew, man. It was like the canteen on Tatooine meets the Algonquin table. You had a bunch of different types, and they were all bonded by being the funniest, hippest voices in the room before hip became a, a denigration. <laughs> I think hip at this point is say. But at the time, uh, you know, it was the ADBC thing between Larry Storch and guys like our guest, Alan Zweibel. <laughs> Larry, but I, there was a, uh, imagine no line there. SNL writer Alan. Alan Zweibel, his memoir is Laugh Lines, My Life, Helping Funny People Be Funnier. And also, if you want to see he and Judd Apatow, I guarantee you it will be a uh, great Zoom or whatever the hell they're calling it now. Uh, <laughs> August 6th uh, from the Stryker Center in New York. And a hell fellow well met. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of you as a writer, Alan. You know that as a funny man. But you're... You're a kind, benevolent, nice human being. I've always been. Well, it means a lot to me, Dennis. I feel the same. And every time we're together, whether it's like this or the last time was before we were uh, on stage at the, what was it, TMC? TCM. uh, Oh, TCM. Um, uh, Yeah, TMI. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it was you and I and Eddie Muller, and he had an IUD. No, sorry. I'm just off in. uh... No, no, no. But I'm not going to say any BLT jokes, I promise. You You voted for JFK. You know, um, every time we're together, it's it's always fun, Dennis. I always love talking to you. And hopefully we'll see each other again uh, before this whole thing is over with. And that's the end of this interview. Is it now RIPs? Thank you, my friend. Good to talk to you. Take care, Dennis. Thanks a million, man. All right. The great Alan Zweibel. Um, Funny book. All right. Thanks for your time. 
The final 22 teams have made their way to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the basketball court while the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past. There will not be a shortage of excitement, and there is no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resume season. So get in on all the action and do it now if you haven't tried it yet fantasy basketball very easy to play just pick eight players stay under the salary cap and pile up points for three pointers rebounds assists and more there's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at one million dollars but if basketball isn't for you don't worry DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament with millions of dollars up for grabs this week there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings download the DraftKings app now and use promo code Miller to get a free shot at millions of dollars that's up for grabs this week with your first deposit that's promo code Miller to get a free shot at millions of dollars and write off your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum of a $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, listen, I had asked, uh, in, due to the uh, expertise of one Lindsay Floyd, and I'm not cutting the stemper in on this gravy, because the stemper... Jeez, I looked over. He was on a zip line. Out the door he went like a Bond villain. Um, but I wanted to take some phone calls. And uh, Lindsay has hooked it up. Thanks yes. for the hookup, Floyd. Hey, no problem. I think we've already got a friend on the line, actually. Well, let's rap. Let's have a rap session. Yeah. I, Hello? Uh, who's there? Shalom Aloha, Dennis. This is Gene in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> God, you've been killing me lately, Gene. And uh, thank God somebody is as deep into the the band as I am, because I had yeah. gone away for years, and then I just uh, I watched the last waltz one night. And I was reminded how it's just brilliant. You know, it's funny, Gene. Is last night I was watching the show, uh, the 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 great movie Fifty Six Up. And at one point, uh, one of the guys from the group of kids who are now 56 and where his life has taken him, he says, I didn't participate from age 21 on to 56 because I felt wronged by the show. And uh, he's a plus I have a band to promote now. So he introduces his trio. It's sort of a Peter, Paul and Mary thing. And they've got a little mandolin and they're singing. And I almost say to Carolyn, uh, as we're watching it in bed, uh, but I don't think it'll resonate with her because she's not as deeply immersed in the band as I am at the moment. I almost said, it's Americana music, uh, oddly, in England. And uh, But I didn't say it. And then later they, they cut back and the guy said, well, it sounds good. What do you th well, How do you position the music? And he says, uh, we think of it as Americana. And I thought, oh, the dent they made on people. He was also talking about Graham Parsons, but I have the feeling that if you had uh, airdropped Graham Parsons into a band session, it would have been a pig and slop, right? Oh, for sure. And you know, that's why I haven't called in a while, because I felt like your show wronged me. So I've been on break. <laughs> what did we, what did we do, big man? I sing your praises incessantly. <laughs> Nothing really. Listen, I called because I have a question for Sal. 
Um, oh. But I can ask you. <laughs> There's this senator oh, I from really, Illinois. I really threw you off. I I can see the Arthur Murray footprints here. I had no idea this was so choreographed, <laughs> and I went off on that long ramble there. I'm sorry. You've got business to do here. Uh, okay, oh, go ahead. Now, look, I'll roll with it. I'll talk to Ben. <laughs> you know, George Harrison, George Harrison had that same experience with them. He came back during the Let It Be sessions and was just kind of bored because he had such a great time at Woodstock with the band. Yeah, he said they're the greatest band ever, I believe, George. And Clapton yeah. tried to quit. And John Simon, their producer, it's funny, everybody wanted to be part of that vibe because I guess they were the coolest guys. But they said to John Simon said, I'd like to join. And... Robbie said to him, we've got two piano players, John. That was the thing. They were such multitaskers that if somebody else was yeah. playing, you know, if, if Garth took it over, Richard didn't he, didn't, he almost just sang through the piano. He didn't really play the piano. And how, how many bands have three amazing vocalists? That uh, not like that. Not like that, man. Jesus. And I can, folks, uh, completely simpatico with each other and yet perfectly isolatable that's the thing about the band yeah. those three voices i can hear one for one note and know which one it is and yet uh you know they're they're properly demarcated but they are just beautiful together and danko's voice like we were talking about gene in an email i think we went back and forth but danko's voice and makes no difference it's just a complete wipeout for me yeah, both both the, the studio and the live version give me the chills. It's just, uh, I don't know what it is about it. But every What do you make of the Robbie Levon thing? And we'll get back to the bit in a second, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm so <laughs> immersed in this right now. <laughs> but um, I, you know what? I read Levon's book, and I like the book. And I read Robbie's yeah, book, too. and uh, I liked Robbie's book. But, uh, you know, John Simon even hints that Robbie was in the band, and it was only a way station to him, ironically, if you can believe that. But uh, yeah, he did right. allow them to use the name the band. So I, I, I don't know. I guess Robbie had bigger things in mind. He wanted to be Antonioni, I think. I guess. You know, I, I, I guess you remember the part in Levon's book where he talks about how, um, you know, they felt Robbie was living with Scorsese at the time that they were editing The Last Waltz, and they felt like he manipulated the film a bit to kind of come off as the leader of the band through the editing and things. And, and when they went for a private screening of it, one of them joked as they were leaving, saying, good thing they got some footage of Robbie in there. So I think they were all feeling a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, let down by the fact that they wanted to continue on, but he was really the one who was ready to move on from it. It's a oh, shame. Genius songs, but, genius songs. The guy wrote. Yeah. And I, that's one thing about Levon is I, I agree with him that throwing it into that cellar. Uh, Big Pink or throwing it into that uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s pool house where they're all jamming within four feet of each other with John Simon. I, I agree that the songs evolved from there, but what are you going to do as far as the credit goes? You, you, very infrequently does everybody get the credit. He did hatch the, the, the you know, Simon says, uh, he said, listen, as a, I just have to say that I know everybody contributed. I was there. He said, but when you get to signing credit, he's you got to come in with the guy who came in with the words and the tune. Yeah, I guess so, because, yeah, there's so many bands where you've got such distinctive arrangements and things, and, you know, even melody lines uh, in the Beatles and stuff like that George put in um, that are so characteristic of the song, but I guess, 
yeah, I guess that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, I don't think it. I think Paul only in in way down the road at some point asked for uh, McCartney right. Lennon on a couple of Lennon McCartney songs that he wrote right. completely by himself yesterday. I think. Right. Right. Like anyway, he needs that kind of notoriety. Yeah. Well, I yeah. don't know. It's at some point if you hatch something like. Uh, uh, the night they drove old Dixie down, which, by the way, I'm, I bought a hard copy, Gene, because I don't know when they come for that song. Quite frankly, I, I honest to God, <laughs> don't. <laughs> so I ordered a no. hard copy of it, Blu-ray, because I'm, I'm not losing that song to all these uh, Nimrods who are going to say that's got to go right. too. Um, no, just so before it, we get off, before before we get off the band, real quick, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned in an email about that box set from the Last Waltz which has about 20 more songs that were part of that five-hour evening. Um, I can send you a link to it if you want. Just uh, Yeah, please do. Finding that. It's, okay. What about the fact that the folks, uh, by the way, when you read, if you want to read any of these books, you'll find out that Woodstock's around 60 miles away from Max Yasker's farm. But it amazes me that Dylan, and, uh, Dylan did not show, and the band, the band played, right? Yeah. Uh, at, at Woodstock, but the, I think even Robbie was candid enough to say they found it a little daunting. Uh, you know what? I almost went to one of, you know, Levon would have these midnight rambles long after right. was. I almost went to one, but I forget something happened and I couldn't go, but I, I, I regret it so much now having missed that. Yeah, I can't imagine. It must have been serious thing that because that seems so up your alley. And, uh, yeah. I guess that's how Levon made his living, and uh, he, be, you know, really immersed himself in the town. And indeed, I think there's a uh, Levon Helm Boulevard up there now, or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, welcome yeah. to Band Talk with Dennis and Gene. <laughs> well, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> you're a, you're a musical genius, Crane. You know everything about everything, and you play. So yeah, I'm going to pick your brain since I'm in the groove right well, now. What's Dennis, up let with, me. Uh, let me... You, uh, that's Christian. He's, yeah, he's replaced Sal. Oh, yeah. hi, Christian. Uh, Gene. Yeah, I'm I'm nice I'm like Sal <laughs> if uh, I was handsome. <laughs> I'm handsome, Sal. So you you, you had something for like, Sal. Uh, Can it translate to Christian? It sounds like Sabe's voice has changed a little bit. I hear him in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Sabe's has been going through treatments for a while. Yeah, yeah. he transgendered. Got my estrogen. He used to be Brett Saberhagen, yeah. uh, pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. But then he right. became Jenny Finch. Right? Uh, <laughs> Two and a half years ago, and uh, he married Eddie Feiner from the King and His Court, and they have children who are well. They say it's praiseworthy. So their, their children are underhanded. Says Rona Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> How's life, my friend? You good? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Well, Eugene's a little uh, bashful to self-promote, but he and his brother, who uh, work for the Muppets, they actually have a uh, podcast slash uh, video streaming show that they've been doing and getting some great guests. So, Gene, you should plug that because I want people to listen to it. Oh, thank you. So it's more of a watching. It's a vodcast, as the kids say now. But, um, yeah, Billy and I have been doing it. It's called the Beretta Brothers. 
And uh, we have had some great guests. A lot of it is, is Muppet-centered because that's kind of a niche we have, but we've had like Alton Brown and Tom Bergeron, and we just had Danny Trejo this past weekend, and John Voigt came on as a surprise, and Robert Rodriguez. and So we've had some really good good people on, um, really. It's now uh, the it. podcast, by the way, folks, now called the Beretta Brothers. I know you originally came to it under the name the Walter PPK Brothers, but then... Uh, <laughs> Well, you know what? We, it's nice that we're doing video because every two weeks we we um, we learn a new Nicholas Brothers routine and we're able to do it. I always wanted the Nicholas Brothers to inhabit a, in a Busby Berkeley type way an Escher print where they came down steps <laughs> and into other steps. Oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> I bet you know somebody should just do that through animation or something. That would be so well, cool. God forbid you do it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know I'm going to get around to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> I forget that quote. What is it? That's another thing we're not going to do. Ah, Sammy, uh, Sammy, and uh, Sammy, you didn't do a good job of plugging your thing because you didn't tell anybody where to find it. Well, Christian, oh, you tell it. Okay. I actually don't do know. I actually don't remember where it is. I, I click on it. It gets so tired. I click on it through uh, Instagram, so yeah. I don't actually know where you can find it. It's 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 easy. It's, it's if you go to thebarettabrothers dot com, you'll see everything you need to know, and that's Perfect. Beretta with two R's and two T's. Thank you. All right. I'm watching Spencer's Mountain in the background here, and Wally Cox and uh, his drama. I'm scene. sorry. Did I disturb your? Did I disturb you? Who's on, who is that, Christian? <laughs> That's still is Gene. that Gene Walter PP? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's say goodbye to PP. Uh, good to talk to you. Mike. All right, and uh, Thank you. always, always literate, always funny, yeah. and always a charmer. We do have another caller on the line, Dennis. Hold me. Go ahead, caller. Like identify yourself, me. please. You're the best, Dennis. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm being the best I can at being the best. <laughs> well, it's uh, good to you know that you're taking calls, man. This is exciting. I know it's uh, it's uh, tough to follow Gene. He's a, he's a great guy. And uh, well, listen, I, anyway, I know who you are, but please introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh well, uh, I'm Jason. I was early on in the radio show. I was Jason in D.C. and then I was mm -hmm. Jason in Indy, and now I'm Jason in Austin. I moved to Austin about two years ago. And, uh, you know, was lamenting uh, losing St. Elmo's and Portillo's being nearby. But I have to say that the food down here in Austin is really good. And I know you've had a few mentions out there that you wanted some recommendations on good taco places. So if you're ever in the Austin area, I was going to give you some uh, some advice. Um, yeah, there's a place called Torchy's Tacos. That's a, that's a great uh great place here there's also one uh called taco deli which i've been to several times but despite the name i don't think they're kosher so just be aware of that <laughs> um, <laughs> well it's actually d-e-l-h-i it's so they it's, yeah. uh, it, it's more of a non-bread they use there yeah and uh one other place is called one taco but uh i also wanted to talk to you. Every time I go into uh, see my, my old roommate from college was there in Goleta, and I always say, Dennis says we need to go to La Super Rica. 
he always looks at me confused. And so I think I've been there about three times and we've never gone. So next time I go to Santa Barbara, I'm going to insist that we go to La Superica. And I wanted to get your recommendation on what I should order when I'm there. Well, and they don't do it every day, but if they do the uh, chili relleno in white sauce, it's just staggering. Folks, this is a place on Milpas up in Santa, uh, Santa Barbara, Milpas Street. I can't believe your friend. Your friend's not hip to it. He's out in Goleta. What, 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 yeah, is it a Unabomber? Is it Ted Kaczynski? <laughs> he doesn't know the Super Rica, for God's sakes. But uh, the, the chili Rieno and white. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'll check it out. It sounds and good. And then the cheese and bacon cup. They bring you a big, oh. thick cup of cheese with bacon. Now, listen, if you're going to oh, go there and do the, oh, I go there to get fit, that doesn't work into my caloric. Don't go to the place because it's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's hefty. It's not about uh, let's go to the Super Rica and lose some weight. So, uh, <laughs> but those two items are absolutely uh, staggering. And uh, tell your friend to get out more because if he's up in Goleta and hasn't heard of that, that's like uh, living in San Simeon and not being aware of the big house up on the hill. What house? I will let him know. And it sounds like my kind of place, so I appreciate it. All right, my brother. Good for uh, thank you for calling in, and nice to hear your voice. All right, thanks. Nice to talk to you, Dennis. Bye. All right. You know, uh, Jason and the Austinots. Yeah, Lindsay uh, and I. have seen in Austin this week. By the way, folks, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about uh, the way people interact these days, but I do know surrounding a car and running up to it with an AK-47 in the pointed position at the driver is a bad way to meet. There's met <laughs> cute, and then there's that. <laughs> uh, Jesus. <laughs> What I was going to say was that, uh, you know, Lindsay and I, uh, the, the handful of times we've had to go up there and record the show in person with you, we've uh, always gone to La Super Rica. And uh, we're actually uh, hoping you uh, break something in your studio so we have to go up there again soon. Although I don't know if you're letting strangers like us into your home at the moment. But uh, one day we'd like to come back. Uh, I think he left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Chris. Did you break it? Yeah. I guess we got to come up and fix it. <laughs> uh, but now we have a very specific the windscreen order. off. You know those little folks, you know what a windscreen is on a mic. I've taken it off and I've put it on top of my head. And here's my impression. Oh, yo. Oh, yo. Oh, yo. I wish we could see it. Oh, <laughs> Those are what the uh, Palace Guard and the Wizard of Oz, and they always had those <laughs> Buckingham uh, Palace dirty Q-tip hats on. Yeah. Uh, we have one more caller, uh, somebody who has uh, been holding for a, a minute, so I wanted to get to him before he hangs up. I thought you were going to say holding since we went off uh, the radio show. Yes, years ago. he has, actually. Yeah. He's, been on the, he's been on hold for five-plus years. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, who I is it? Continue. Enter and sign in. It's Corby from Branson, and I will continue to hold for you, Dennis, five years and counting. <laughs> What's up, my brother? Can you get me any tickets to the Yakov Smirnoff show? About tickets? I can, get you, I can get you on stage, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since you had some stage is time, Yakov Dennis. Still, do you think he still works? Brother, you're in Branson. Is Yakov still a going concern in, in Branson, or is he passed? Or tell me about him. No, he's back. He two years ago was was which Branson is like that. Everybody has a farewell tour. 
then comes back two years later. Um, but Yakov is back this year. I'm not really certain what's going on with this show, but I, I did see that he is back in town. You think he missed time that two years off with all the collusion shit? I can't believe. Talk about throwing a dart and missing the point. You have two years where you hear nothing but Russian collusion, and he's on sabbatical writing his uh, his memoirs or something. So how's My life out there in Branson? Oh, it's great. It's great. I'm knee-deep in dirty diapers, laminate flooring, and high-gloss paint. Beautiful, brother. Tell me about your Bambino. How old's your kid? Or do you have more than one? Well, I have three. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I have a six-year-old son. And then last year, my wife and I wanted another baby. We just didn't know it, but we found out (laughs) uh, that we were having one. (laughs) So she's, she's a beautiful baby girl. She's four months old now. Beautiful, brother, because so you're you're enjoying the ultimate innocence of the four-month-old baby girl, and then you're about to enter, probably two years from now, the nervous hover zone with the fi- then 15-year-old girl for the next uh, <laughs> I'm seven, seven there. years. I'm already there. Because <laughs> <sighs> you never know who's coming home, because the girl, they usually settle out on the other side looking for the nice guy, but they go through that five to six year period there where they want the bad boy, and then you've got to screen them at the door. Uh-huh. Just so long she doesn't bring any home, anyone home like her dad, it will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good criteria. Now that's a good dad. That'll that'll keep her in good stead, knowing that. So, what's on your mind, my man? Just calling in to say hey. Just calling in to say hey. I I uh, when I call into your show, and I I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to Lindsay. She has to listen to a lot of my voicemails you know some of them get through i'm i'm thankful for that but i'm no comedian i'm more like the guy that likes to tell dad jokes corby would you like the honor of uh queuing up a voicemail from yourself if so say Uh, Lindsay, can you play cut number five from corby and branson surreal experience wow Lindsay, would you please play cut number five from corby and branson anything for you corby This That's is a beautiful. dream come true. It's a mirror and a mirror and a mirror and a mirror. <laughs> long Thanks, Corby. Wait, wait, we got to play I'm gonna, it. Gotta I'm going to drop off, Corby. Okay. I've got to take this voicemail okay. from Corby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, real Corby. All right, here we All go. Right. <laughs> long time listener, 400 time caller. <laughs> Love your show today with Mr. Schlichter. And it was great to listen to you. I just got to say, Dennis, I don't think the Democrats have handled Hillary's loss as, <laughs> as good as they could have. Could have. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Oh, what a massive good fuck this has been. It started, honest <laughs> to God, it started that night up in her pee de terre when she could not believe she lost, jumped out of the Javits Center gig to plan what is what we've seen for this many years now it's unbelievable let's get this on let's see which way the country's going uh and it couldn't happen sooner than later so everybody can make their decisions corb please don't be a stranger we're going to start taking phone calls you're welcome here anytime and uh 400 time caller shows you've got (laughs) funny chops and congrats on the new baby and uh thanks for calling in my friend Thank you, Dennis. Bye. All right. I broke into hives when he was talking. I didn't realize that you can have a baby and not realize it. 
uh, that uh, I'm, I'm terrified now, but I guess it's probably good because uh, my wife and I aren't even in the same wing of the house more than about, you know, an hour a week. Well, Corby's vast uh, friends is so brawny. Uh, <laughs> insemination by him does yeah. not involve penetration. <laughs> it's a phone call. It's a phone. He has an app. <sighs> Some sort of... Uh, I was trying to think. I thought of a name for an app, but it's too rough. Do you want to tell me and we'll cut it out? Well, an app where you impregnate somebody <laughs> from afar is called No Not in the App. <laughs> oh, that's nice work. Oh, Sammy. Oh, that's nice work. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Westwood One.